Salute omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamus. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 2A, De Bella Gallico, Book 1, Chapters 2 and 3. In this episode, you will learn that Helvetians get sad when they can't wage all the war, and that Orgatorix would feel right at home in Westeros. Apud Helvetios, longe nobilissimus fuit et ditissimus Orgatorix. Is, Marco Messala, et Marco Pupio Pisone Consulibus, Regni Cupiditate Inductus, Conjurationem Nobilitatis Fecit, et, Civitati Persuasit ut de Finibus Suis, cum omnibus copiis exirent. Per facile esse, cum virtute omnibus prestarent, totius Galliae Imperio Potiri. Id hoc facilius eis persuasit, quod undique loci natura helvetii continentur, Una ex parte flumine reno latissimo atque altissimo, qui agrum helvetium a germanis dividit. Altera ex parte monte jura altissimo, qui est intersequanos et helvetios. Tertia lacum lemano et flumine rodano, qui provinciam nostrum ab helvetiis dividit. His rebus fiebat ut et minus late vagarentur et minus facile finitimis bellum infere possent. Qua ex parte homines bellandi cupidi magno delore ad bantur. Pro multitudine autem hominum, et pro gloria belli atque fortitudinis angusto se fines habera arbitrabantur. Qui in longitudinem milia passum ducenta quadriginta, in latitudinem centamoctaginta patebant. Is rebus aducti et auctoritate orgatorigis per moti, Constituerunt ea quae ad proficiscendum pertinerent comparare, iumentorum et cororum quam maximum numerum coemora, cementes quam maximus facera, ut in itinera copia fermenti supeteret, cum proximus civitatibus pacem et amicitiam confirmare. Ad eas res configiendas bienium sibi satisesse duxerunt, intertiamanum profectionem lege confirmant. Ad eas res conficiendas, orgatorix delegitur. Is sibi legationem ad civitates suscapit. In eo itinera persuadit castico, catamenta loedis filio, sequano, cuius pater regnum in sequanis multos annos obtinuerat, et a senatu populi romani amicus appellatus erat, ut regnum in civitate sua occuparet, quod pater ante habuerat. Itemque dum norigi aeduo, fratre diwikiaci, qui eo tempora principatem inquivitate obtinebat, ac maxime plebi aceptus erat, ut idem conaretur persuadet, eique filium suum in matrimonium dat. Per facile factu esse illis probat conata perficera. Propteria quad ipse suae civitatis imperium obtenturus esset. Non esse dubium, quin totius Galliae plurimum helvetii possent. 
Se, suis copii suoque exercitu ilis, regna conciliatorum confirmat. Hac orationae adducti inter se fidem et usurandum dant, et, regna occupato per tres potentissimos ac firmissimos populos, totius Galliae se se potiri posse sperant. Among the Helvetii, by far the most noble and wealthiest was Orgetorix. He, when Marcus Massala and Marcus Piso were consuls, influenced by the desire of ruling power, made a conspiracy of the nobility and persuaded the tribe to depart from their borders with all their forces. That it was very easy, since they surpassed everyone in Virtus, to obtain imperium of all of Gaul. He persuaded them of this thing more easily because of this, because on all sides the Helvetii are restricted by the nature of the place. On one side, by the very wide and very deep Rhine, which divides the land of the Helvetii from the Germani. On the other side, by the very tall Mount Jura, which is between the Sequani and the Helvetii. On the third side, by Lake Lemanus and the Rhone River, which divides our province from the Helvetii. Because of these things, it happened that they both wandered less widely and were able to bring war on their neighbors less easily, for which reason men eager for waging war were afflicted with great sadness. For the multitude, however, of their men, and for the glory of war and of bravery, they considered themselves to have narrow borders, which extended 240 miles in length, 180 miles in width. Influenced by these things, and thoroughly moved by the authority of Orgetorix, they decided to prepare those things which would pertain to departing, to buy as large a number as possible of mules and wagons, to make as many plantings as possible, so that the supply of grain would be sufficient on the journey, to confirm peace and friendship with the neighboring tribes. They thought that two years was enough for themselves to accomplish these things. In the third year, they confirmed their departure by law. For accomplishing these things, Orgetorix is chosen. He took up the ambassadorship to the tribes for himself. On this journey, he persuades Casticus, the son of Catamantalodus, a Sequani, whose father had obtained ruling power in the Sequani for many years, and had been called a friend of the Roman people by the Senate, to seize the ruling power in his tribe, which his father had held before. Likewise, Dumnorix the Idoan, brother of Diviciacus, who at that time obtained the chief rule in the tribe and was very greatly accepted by the common people, he persuades to try the same thing, and he gives his own daughter to him in marriage. He proves to them that to accomplish their attempts was very easy to do, because he himself was going to obtain imperium of his own tribe, that there was no doubt that the Helvetii would be the most able of all of Gaul, he confirms that with his own forces and his own army, he is going to secure ruling power for them. Influenced by this speech, they give faith and the swearing of oaths among themselves, and, after ruling power had been obtained, they hoped that they would be able to gain possession of all of Gaul through three very powerful and very strong peoples. This passage describes the scheming of one Orgatorix, the noblest and wealthiest of the Helvetians, who formed a conjurationum nobilitatis for the Helvetians to leave their borders. Caesar tells us when this conspiracy happened, since consuls served one-year terms, Romans used the names of the two consuls serving that year to refer to the year, like we might say during President Obama's first term. The consulship of Masala and Piso was in 61 B.C. 
Notice how Caesar calls what seems to be a legitimate and legal decision among the Helvetian people a coniratio. His use of this term is intentional because it carried with it very negative connotations in a Roman mind. Think Catiline, which had happened only a few years before this. The word virtus reappears in this section, so pay attention to its use in the narrative. A second word that I left untranslated in this selection is the word imperium. To a Roman, imperium was a commander or a leader's right to command the people under his authority. An imperator, originally a military title, is one who wielded imperium. The word expanded meaning to include the emperor who commanded the Roman army, but at this point in the Republic, the meaning would still be primarily military in nature and would have been viewed as a different type of power than regnum, also mentioned in this passage, which is ruling power as a king or political leader. So Orgatorix's argument in this section is basically that because the Helvetii are more courageous than everybody else, they will be able to exert military authority over the other tribes easily. Orgatorix, by way of Caesar, gives a main reason why the Helvetians were easily persuaded by his plan, because of their small territory. But Caesar places most of his focus on the reasons why the Helvetians consider their borders too small. They were not able to roam and bring on war to their neighbors as easily as they would have liked and gain glory in battle, again placing the focus on their warlike nature. So the Helvetians decide to make preparations to leave, giving themselves two years to prepare what they needed and electing Orgatorix to head up the planning. And given the choices of buying transport and pack animals, storing up food, or confirming peace and political alliances with the neighboring tribes, Orgatorix chooses the latter, making himself the official ambassador to the Helvetian neighbors. Because of Caesar's writing style and the commentarius genre that he's working in, you're frequently going to have to read between the lines of the text to fully understand and appreciate what is happening. Caesar reports these events in a very brief, very detached way, but inspecting closely reveals that Orgatorix is going above and beyond his original purpose as elected ambassador to orchestrate a Game of Thrones-style power play. Caesar describes features of the Gallic tribal governments as a type of oligarchy or aristocracy led by the nobility, but containing some democratic elements. For example, Orgatorix has to persuade the Helvetian leaders to adopt his plan, he is elected by the nobility to be the leader of the preparations, and Casticus, at least, no longer had the ruling power his father had held, yet some governmental structure was present among the Sequani. So when Orgatorix persuades Casticus to reclaim his father's ruling power and makes a marriage alliance with Dumnorix, urging Dumnorix to seize power from his brother, he has now moved well beyond just confirming peace with his neighbors. He is actively plotting to destabilize the local tribal leadership and ally himself with powerful players to set up his eventual takeover of the entire region. Notice how this Gallic triumvirate seals their alliance through usurandum, the swearing of oaths, the hallmark of a conspiracy in a Roman's mind. Throughout this description, Caesar has used words that would have meant negative things to a Roman, coniratio, regnum, usurandum, to name a few. Although he doesn't describe the political maneuverings in great detail, Caesar's word choices are meant to worry his audience so that when he eventually steps in, he is seen as making a justified military decision to protect the Roman province rather than overstepping his own imperium. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How are nobility and wealth linked? 
What factors led the Helvetians to consider emigration from their borders? How does Orgatorix use public needs and wants to secretly fulfill personal ambition? What does it mean to be called a friend of the Roman people? How might marriages to form political alliances be successful? Where might they fail? And based on what you know of Roman history, how does Caesar and Pompey's own marriage alliance fail them? Gratias ago pro ascoltando, valete.